Hello and welcome to the Kestrel Country Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Church, joined here by my lovely wife and co-host, Catherine. Hello, hello. And this is the Kestrel Country Podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and events all around Kestrel Country. Let's get into to the podcast today. Just messing up, sir. Switching it up Switching up the morning. intro a little bit. It's good. It's good. Keeping it's it good. Uh, Keeping exciting. Keeping it fresh. Yep. That's right. So, we are here almost to June. School's getting out. And Moscow's starting Spring. to warm up. Slowly. Slowly Yesterday was really up. nice. Yeah, but it it's supposed to be highs in the next few days are like low 50s. Still, that's warmer. Rainy. Warmer than it's been. I know, but for this time of year, it's, it's kind of a slow spring. At the same time, though, we had that crazy hot June last year, so hopefully this means a greener summer. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you. Well, I probably do know about you. I know everybody's itching <laughs> to be outside, enjoying the nicer weather, and um, I know for me this time of year, I can't really stop thinking about fly fishing. Yeah. This is, I mean, living here in North Idaho, it's... it. It is the thing to do, the place to be out on a river. Still pretty early. The water's going to be super cold, but it's just really exciting. We're sitting here in my office. Yep. There's a painting of uh, one of our favorite spots to fish, um, map of Idaho with all the rivers and everything. Um, so it's really easy to get excited about it. So today, um, I interviewed earlier this morning, Isaac Grauke. Yeah. So it was fun to talk to him about fishing. Um, they're kind of, he and his wife, Katie, been really um, helpful for us kind of learning more about fly fishing. Well, introduced me to fly fishing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have done it without Katie and Isaac. Because <laughs> I am not a good teacher. <laughs> That's the truth. Katie's a fantastic teacher. No, you're, you're good. But I don't think that I would have, I don't know. I don't think we would have gone together without Katie and Isaac. Yeah. When a couple and I'm struck. very, very grateful. That and I kind of had to drag you Yes, you out did. There. Absolutely had to drag me out there. I was not excited about the <laughs> first trip out there, but then turned out it was incredible and it's, really fun and still really hard to stand in the middle of the river. I'm not very good at it. Um, but it's just gorgeous when you're out, you know, and it's very calm and, yeah. and it's not, at least it never has been in our experience, crazy, ridiculously hot. The the river always calm, you know, cools you down. Yeah. Well, and it's gorgeous. And you've like, you went from no fishing right to being by yourself, fly fishing, in a river in North Idaho, yeah. catching the fish yourself, well, that taking was it off the line. Because you're by yourself and no one is able to help you <laughs> unhook this poor you fish. You did it. You did it though. Yeah. It's awesome. It's pretty funny. So yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Um, and it was a fun conversation. We talked about um, kind of how he got into fly fishing and then how our paths kind of intersected with fly fishing. Um, and a lot just about the basics of how do you get into it? How do you get your kids into it? It's one of the things we talked about. Um, so yeah, it should be, yeah, it's, it's a fun conversation. I wasn't part of it. And yeah, it'll be, um, just encourage you to get out, try it. Um, go to those fly shops, go to those different places that Isaac mentions in the podcast, learn more about it, get out there and enjoy, you know, the, the amazing rivers that North Idaho, um, has to offer really all of Idaho. That is one of the things I, my favorite all thing of about in my office is this huge map of Idaho that shows all the rivers and creeks and tributaries and, there is so much river here mm-hmm. in Idaho, and um, it's definitely like, especially for new people to to the area. You know, we talked about that with Kirk Brower too. Oh, when, on That's the white, right on the Whitewater one. Yeah, yeah. and th- and this is the time too. Um, I so, know we're going down to the Selway 
uh, pretty soon and it might be roaring. We might not have a chance to fish, but maybe we'll see some people whitewater rafting. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the conversation with Isaac Grouchy. Isaac, thanks for coming in. Yeah, man, absolutely. So we're going to talk about fly fishing. And can I stop you right there? No. Can we talk about the fact that there are giant Chinook salmon that are swimming? We're in Idaho. Yep. We live in Idaho. We're recording this in Idaho. And less than 30 minutes from where we sit right now, giant Chinook salmon. But we're sitting here recording a podcast. We're not out there fishing. Have you been out after them? No, I just follow people who are posting all the pictures and I don't have a boat. So there's that. Is that mostly confluence? That's what it looks like. Yeah. Jed, Jed went, um, the other day and okay. he said he was going with a guy who had been catching a bunch and they went and spent like six hours and didn't get a bite. Oh no. <laughs> and then like the next day the guy went back without him and limited out, you know, yeah. it's like, that's the way it works. But, but it, yeah, I mean, it drives me crazy that we, I mean, people don't even really know about it. Even people who fish. I mean, I love to fish, and and yet, I don't know why I don't go after them. Yeah, I used to know someone well, who had a boat. Well, tell me, Eddie, a bit. Eddie's dad used to have the boat hookup. Yeah, and so we'd go down and. But yeah, I mean, talk about something to do in the spring because obviously falls full of hunting and you know it's beautiful out and fishing. Yeah. But right now, I mean, this is the time of year you're itching to get outside. And that'd be a great one. But, yeah. Well, so what do you know about it? I mean, I just know it's a trolling game. So you, at this time is of year. Is it similar to steelheading down there? The it fall? is. Actually, this year, the uh, Chinook run, the numbers jumped up. Like, so for the last 10 years, the numbers have been dropping. And they count them coming over Lower Granite Dam. And I don't even know how they do that. But they've got some method of estimating. There's a guy down there. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy in with a window, like one, <laughs> two, right? So they're they have ways of estimating the number of fish that, that return to spawn, uh, up here. And anyway, this year was a big spike. So really good return. And obviously there's tons of factors that, and it's usually this late. Um, yeah, this is when they this come this time of year. This is it. Huh. This is springers. Yeah. I didn't even know spring that. salmon run. There you go. Yeah. Cause I've, we get into them in the fall sometimes you'll catch them when you don't even mean to, if you're out targeting steelhead or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's a whole spring run. So I probably shouldn't tell people, people, the guys who actually fish them are like, shh, don't, don't, don't do that. That's the, yeah. that's the deal with fishing though. In general, I know like someone's going to be upset after this podcast about something that we talk about. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is though, if, if the, if you, if we don't get new people into it, then it's going to die. Right. Mm. It's like, you, you got to present like, you know, my, uh, the guy I used to fish folks I used to fish with back in Michigan he had this hat that said, if you can read this, you're fishing too close, yes. you know? And like, he would always, he taught us to say, when we come back, you know, from fishing, this is all like lake trout fishing and stuff. And if somebody was like, oh yeah, wow, where'd you get that fish? would be like, uh, right here in the mouth. Yeah. Like, that's where I got him. Um, I like to say here in Idaho. Yeah. In yeah, Idaho. In the woods. In yeah. People, the uninitiated, right. With hunting the same thing. Like, oh, where'd you shoot that elk? Like, yeah, I was in the woods, mm -hmm. you know? So like you don't want to share specifics, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I think part of what I was hoping to, to talk to you about today was just 
how'd you get into fly fishing and what are some ways for people who are interested sure. in getting into it to just kind of pardon the pun, but oh, yeah. wade into it. Right. And yeah, and like, I mean, how do you, like, I totally how do you get started? You. Cause I think it's, it's really intimidating. And I mean, I'm like novice level for sure. Um, but it, it's intimidating. There's a lot going on, but I think it's, that's part of what makes it really fun, mm-hmm. you know, is that there's so much more to learn. It's not like, oh, I just plunk a worm in the, in the pond totally. and wait and see what happens. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I totally agree with you. I think it's important to share the outdoors with people who've never been out there or want to spend time out there. Um, that doesn't mean you got to give up your honey hole, but you got to give people enough information to be successful and to be excited to go out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, we moved to, I grew up in the Seattle area and, um, my dad is Dr. John Grauke, who some people know, um, he was a doctor here locally for a long time, but he moved us out here in, uh, 94, 95. So I was 12 and, uh, he was kind of grew up in Texas. So love the outdoors down there, but kind of a very different type of outdoors. So when he moved here, he was ready to get into all the things. And part of that was rivers and his partner, um, Bert Breitzman, who, uh, people might remember as well, had an old NRS raft that he gave my dad. And so like our first, you know, adventures were going out on rivers on that NRS raft and floating. And then I think Bert gave us like a box of these flies that uh, actually he gave us a flies, bunch of different fly tying materials. And, um, and we just went out and we're like, well, fly fishing. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Is that the same raft they still have? Yeah, I've, I've kept it up for 20 years, you know, and I, you know, NRS makes those really great pumps that you can take with you. And so it's now I've about three years ago, I stopped trying to keep it up. I patch it and then we'd be floating and then you'd be pumping as you're floating and, you know, (laughs) topping it off. Um, but now there's, um, there's a lot of exploring that you can do on a raft and those are, that was, those are some good days. Yeah. So you guys came over and kind of just tried it then. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I honestly did not enjoy it. You know, my, my initial like memory of fly fishing was, well, we weren't very good. Let's put it that way. You know, we would, we were just trying to figure it out. We didn't have someone going out saying, okay, do this, do that. Um, and so I don't, we didn't catch a lot of fish. And as a 12 year old, it was like, well, okay, I think I'd rather be playing basketball. Um, and my story there is for my 12th birthday, um, they gave me a pair of Hodgman's waders. Remember those neoprene? I still oh, yeah. have them. Anyway, I totally cried. Like I opened them and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> These giant brown. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. No, but now my kids wear them. Um, yeah. Now- well, so not to derail the story, but what I think that's, that's one of the things certainly that I've been starting to think more about. And it seems like you guys have done a good job with this of like, how do you get your kids involved with it? Right. Like how do you get them out there? Um, again, it seems like it's easy to go to spring Valley with a spinning rod for a kit or like a little Zebco and have them do that. Um, but how, how have you guys, um, gotten your kids involved without it being like, Oh, this is, this is boring or, yeah, no, I, and that's, I think like the number, the first answer to your question about how do you get people involved? People should be taking their kids fishing. Um, obviously if you don't love fishing, then maybe don't, but if you love to fish 
and you want to pass it on, get your kids out there. And it's a great way to spend time. Um, and there's so many opportunities locally here. So like one of the things I did early on with both my son and my daughter when they were younger, I think they were six or seven, maybe even younger, but we just planned a camping trip out to Spring Valley and did Spring Valley with my daughter. And I did Moose Creek out near Beauville, Moose Creek Reservoir. Both of those, especially in the spring, they stock them, right? They stocked them in April. And they're just like really tiny. I mean, they're not, they're 10, 12 inch rainbow trout. And if you just want to get a kid excited about fishing, that's a great place to start. You're not asking them to wade into a, a, a river and, and throw a fly and try to mend their line and keep it afloat. I mean, that's, that's like a next step. You know, initially I think get them excited just by taking them out to those places. Are you doing that with flies? No, we would just take the. So you're doing spinning rods, man. It's like, just get them started with that. Oh, I have people that are like, Oh no, we don't touch that gear. You know, it's flies only. But then the kid's like, well, I guess I'll see you in 10 years when I have the ability to do this. Mm. Um, now I think you have to first get them excited about catching fish. It needs to be that experience of putting their hands on a fish. doesn't matter what kind of fish it could be. They got bluegill out there. Um, in the fall, if you don't, you know, you miss the, miss the spring go, you know, people, you would catch, uh, you catch, uh, grasshoppers out there and put it on a hook, throw it out there. Even with the fly line, those bluegill will just come and destroy that. Um, which is kind of a fun way to, to catch fish too. Yeah. But yeah, getting kids excited about it, getting them. And I mean, for anyone really, even if you've got someone like a friend who wants to get into it, it's kind of a good way to start. And then once you got the bug, then, cause it's, you know, fly fishing certainly takes a certain level of effort and, determination to figure it out. Are some of your kids fly fishing now? Though? For sure. Most of them. Yeah. So then uh, like our progression was, and I mean, this is like two steps forward, one step back to go back. You and I fished that I like, yeah. I wasn't into fishing. So why did I get into fishing? I mean, I was like, we did it as a family. We'd go over to the Bitterroot, um, spend time over there. I, I don't know that we'd rafted over there, but we, I remember fishing over there. I think I maybe caught one or two fish. Um, but that was, you know, from 12 to 16. And at the end of it, I just walked away. I don't think I fished <clears throat> for maybe 10 years. And then was your dad still fishing then and going on no, fishing trips and stuff or not really? Not really. I think they, they did it occasionally, but, um, it wasn't, a, you know, after, after we kind of grew up and we were heading into our later high school, college years, it gets busier. You stop, oh, yeah. you're not looking for to do those types of things as a family. So, um, I'm really grateful for the time we spent. Um, we've spent a ton of time up on the St. Joe river, great places to camp. I would say that's another thing with kids and other people, you know, you, you're not just going to fish. You're going to spend time on the river, the St. Joseph. We can talk about that some more, but it's a great, great place to go explore. And there's lots to do up there and fishing can be one of those things that you do. Um, so yeah, we grew up, you know, camping up there and, um, rafting through that Canyon, <clears throat> but after that period of time, yeah, we didn't do it for a long time. And then you, you know, I got busy with a career, you yep. know, school. And for me, it was all of a sudden one day I felt like, all right, I've been, my career is going fine. And I just kind of looked around like, what am I doing? I live in Idaho. Yeah, like, exactly. What is, there's so many opportunities to do cool stuff. And I think you and I had a conversation about, we should, we should go fly fishing. Yeah. Well then, so for me, I grew up in Michigan, right? And they're actually come to find out. I think it's like, if you look, 
there's fly fishing pretty much everywhere, right? But yeah. some places it's harder to find. Yeah, in you, Michigan, you like, say you're like, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not much of a fly fisher, whatever. But you were the one that really got me into it. You showed up like well, with the full on Midwestern waders and like the whole getup. Right. I was like, wow, that's really cool gear. But that was all <laughs> Idaho. That, that's kind of my point. Like yeah. in Michigan, there is the Osable River, and there's like there's there are a lot of people into fly fishing. But yeah. I didn't know it. I grew up more like just all trolling. Like yeah. we would go troll. We'd bass fish, but shore mostly lunch. like, yeah, shore lunch, trolling for lake trout up in Canada. Um, like fishing to me was from a boat and we can talk about boats later, but it's like coming to find out you can fly fish from a boat, it's which true. is fun. But I love trolling by the way. Like, yeah. I mean, it's all fun, yeah. but I, so for us, it was, we came out here for, um, my sister and mom were going to a teacher training thing at Logos, right? Correct. So they came to Moscow and my dad and my younger sister and I were like, well, what are we going to do? And so it was like, well, it's Idaho. Let's go fly fishing. Let's learn how to fly fish. So we drove down from Moscow to McCall and went to an Orvis shop there and was just like, Hey, we'd like to fly fish. And so my dad had bought like bought, I think he had a rod already. Somebody had given him. He never I know that shop by the way. I know and that shop. I'd have to find it again. I haven't yeah. been there since whatever. I don't know how old I was. I, was I don't think it's an Orvis endorsed shop anymore. School, maybe. Yeah. But that guy's still there. And so we went and he bought a rod and reel. It's a clear water, an Orvis clear water. Like I still have it. And, um, and then he had his, and we went out with a guide and messed around and fished. And did you go to lakes or did you go to the, no, we would have been, yeah, it was on the river. Honestly, it was long enough ago. I don't remember. I don't even know where we were, but we were on a river. And so we went with him, kind of learned the basics of how to cast and did that for the morning and then fished a little bit that afternoon by ourselves and caught a few fish. Um, and I just, I thought it was awesome. Like, this was really cool. I, I love fishing. Growing up, I loved fishing. Like, that's, that was my thing. Um, but all again, like trolling and stuff. Anyway, so it was the Idaho connection. I went back to Michigan and then for a couple of years in high school, like in the summers, we'd be up in northern Michigan. I'd find like a creek or a river and like just go mess around trying to fly fish in it and stuff. But then come, came out here and for college and did a little bit, but mostly like spring Valley, honestly, it was like, Oh, go out with a fly rod and catch some bluegill or catch some of those little rainbow trout. And, yeah. Um, and then I feel like it was kind of a thing. Well, I can't remember if it was before you and I went on that trip to Montana or not, but, um, went to, um, out kind of the North fork, um, and fished, did some fly fishing up there. Um, and had just a blast, like hiked way in. And it, again, it was like, I had my, I had like literal duck hunting waders, yes. like duck camo and it was hot and like hiked, you know, swampy, hiked these things in, in a backpack. And like, it was kind of miserable. Ended up just wet waiting, you know, for sure by yeah. the afternoon. But, um, but just really, really enjoyed it. It was like that, you know, that feeling of especially dry fly fishing was pretty much all it was at that point. Yep. And, you know, having this little 12 to 14 inch trout cutthroat. That was the first time I'd ever seen a cutthroat trout. Yeah. Little North, that, little North Fork or the North Fork? Of the uh, North Fork. Up not, the North not Fork. Not the Little North Fork. Yeah, yeah, it was up the North Fork. So up past Pierce and yeah. not as far as, sure. you know where we were. Oh, there's so many opportunities there. It's a big river. Little, you have to be careful. But. We weren't in the North Fork. We were on a, yeah. another, you know, Jag. creek coming off. Oh, of I it, know that creek. Yeah. 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 It's a good one. <laughs> That's one I'd give up, by the way. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Like, I'd give that one up yeah. if, if someone asked. 
Just because I've been See, up there. And- I was told I was told about it by somebody who gave That's it a true. nickname. Oh, and he's he like, he's like, know. you should call it this. That's yeah. what we call it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. They call it Osprey Creek, which you're not going to find Osprey Creek yeah. up there. Yeah. But. Speaking of which, like we took a kid out on that Creek who, you know, my own boys were in, into it, but they had done it with me before. And this kid was like, I, we were camping up there doing a boys camp, men's camp type of thing. And, and he had never fished, but he wanted to fish. And that was a, that was a Creek that, you know, you find these small tributaries and typically if you find the pools, there's going to be active fish that really they're not as picky they're ready to eat and if you are hiking a little bit that helps um, yeah. but yeah those are some of the best like that's a great place to learn because you're you're gonna you know you could fish all day on a river that where the fish get maybe pressured or they're looking at a lot of flies and and then you go an hour before you get a fish that that hits your fly and you miss it because you know you haven't developed those reflexes but go find those little creeks small fish eager throw the fly out there. I did this with my kids, um, on the little Joe and, uh, they all caught fish like that. That was one of the places where when I was ready to say, okay, you're interested, you want to do this. Now let's show you what fly fishing is all about. That's the kind of scenario I look for. That's the kind of Creek. And, um, and that's cause then you miss, you miss again, you miss again, and they keep coming back and they keep coming yeah. back. And usually they'll hit them hard too. I mean, they're not, they're not like, a mature fish might, you know, give it a refusal or kind of check it out, but not give you a full hit. And those little, little fish just hammer it. Yeah. So and that's fun. And they're fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still love catching little tiny yeah. fish. I do. It's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, we, so then we were, um, we talked about doing this fly fishing trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rock Creek. <laughs> yeah. Montana. I, I think we got on, we decided on Montana because we knew a guy in Missoula who was, had fished a lot more than we had. In fact, I think he was in guiding at that point. So he was going to, isn't that right? Yeah. He was I don't know if us. he was at the time, but he definitely had got done up it. there. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to Missoula, which is an amazing place. I just for saw rivers. Taylor two days ago, by the way. Okay. He was in town. Oh, nice. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while, but he still lives there. I think. Yeah. We should fish with I know. him again. We need to do it again for sure. We missed the, the yeah, tenure. So he an- brought it up. We missed he, the tenure. He, he anniversary. ran into Jacob oh, and funny. he was like, Hey, I just saw Jacob and yeah, we need to do that fishing trip. Again. That would be anyway. fun. I'm actually, I might be heading over to Rock Creek here in June. So, oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to try to hit that at uh, Salmon Fly Hatch again. But yeah, so we had a camper, my parents' camper. Uh, it was 2009. We were what? I don't know, late 20s. Yeah. 2009. Ready? Was it 2009? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. Back ago. in nine. Wow. Back in nine. So we made that trip. Uh, Jacob. And Taylor, you and I, Larson. And Larson. Yeah. And then the goal was just like, well, Missoula's surrounded by rivers. Bitterroot, Clark Fork, uh, Blackfoot. Uh, Missouri's not too far from there. And Rock Creek um, is a tributary of the Clark Fork, I think. And now that I say that, I don't even know. But Rock Creek is a small fishery. It's got, I think it's it's a lot. It's like 30 or 40 miles of like unimproved road. I've popped two tires on the same rig in the same day with the whole, you know, like take the family uh, station wagon out there. It was a suburban, but <laughs> we ended up popping one, throwing up spare on this was later, obviously different trip, but anyway, it's a terrible road, but we did fine when we yeah. got back in there. Amazingly took the with camper back up in there. Pickup. Yeah. Huge cab over yep. and then place a good place to camp. And we got, we got, I think we caught like four or five fish. Yeah, we did not do very well, but I just remember being like, that was awesome. 
Well, and it was, so we maybe get into this, maybe you can define some of the terms, but, um, that was my first exposure really to nymph fishing. Okay. Like, I mean, I had fish, I had put a little like beadhead nymph or Prince nymph on and fish, you know, out at spring Valley or whatever, or like drop it into a hole, like just that. But, uh, mostly it was like in the streams where there's water moving, I would always dry fly fish. And I remember going with Taylor and he was like, Oh yeah, you, you know, this nymph and a dropper and all this stuff, which yeah. I then found incredibly difficult to cast. And oh, it yeah. was like, everything just kind of got frustrating for me anyway. Um, but that was kind of the first exposure and like seeing somebody who fished that type of setup, pulling fish out where it was like, I could just, I wasn't getting anything. Yeah. I mean, Taylor is a, he, I think he exclusively nymphs now. So, or at least did at that time. So what is that? What's yeah. a nymph? Yeah. So, I mean, people talk about fly fishing, you know, in the romantic sense, you think of a river runs through it and Brad Pitt and, you know, those guys are all flow, throwing a fly, which is essentially a hook with thread and fur or a hackle, which actually comes from birds. So you take these, they actually breed specific roosters for their hackle, which is a long skinny feather. And then when you wrap that around a hook, it creates that little points of the feather sticking out all around that hook. And that's what, and then you tie it in and it's a really difficult, precise, I'm terrible at it. Um, But that's what allows you to throw this thing out on the end of a very thin line, tip it, you know, attach the leader, attach the fly line. And when it hits the water, as long as you're not slapping it, it'll sit right on the water, kind of like a bug does. And bugs are out there flying around, um, laying eggs. That's when they're, you know, in the air. Um, so that's, that's the dry fly. But then you talk about the nymph, that's actually an earlier stage of the bug's life. So they're in a nymphal stage and I'm not, okay, I'm probably using wrong terminology, (laughs) right? Go read an angler's entomology. If you want to know all about the different stages of a, of a, of a bug's life, but yeah, I mean, bugs spend time They're they're come out, they're hatched underwater. They actually swim around, and um, and we refer to them as nymphs. And there are all different types. Some of them are really big, like a stonefly nymph is like a giant. You know, and there, there's caddis that actually make little cases out of rocks, and they float down the river. And that's I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a large percentage of a fish's diet. They're eating subsurface. You don't yeah. see them. Yeah. You don't see them. They're just down there grabbing little things here and there. So when you talk about uh, wet fly fishing and nymphing, you're talking about tying one of these little bugs on the end of your line, but it's a sinking line, or at least the bug has weighted. So, you know, dry flies, you're trying to make it be as light as possible with a wet fly. You're sticking a little weight on there so that when you plop it out there, it sinks. And then you'll put what fly fishermen call a strike indicator, which is really just a bobber. Uh, further up the line. And then as you toss it out there and you're right, it's difficult to cast or it can be as you're getting used to it. I like to think of it as more of a wave because you've got this huge setup out there. It's, and sometimes you'll do like multiple flies on the same lines. You've got like two different hooks. You've got a bobber. It's weighted. You can't just cast it the way you would a normal dry fly. You'll get caught up on yourself. So I'm, I'm waving that thing in a way that just kind of keeps everything under control, but you're throwing that out there and then you're, those bugs sink and you're watching your strike indicator as it floats down the river. And, and when a fish will take the nymph, then your bobber is going to sink. And that's when you set the hook. Um, and there are guys that it's easy to do really easy to do from a boat. So drift, you know, if you're in a drift boat, you can keep that thing in the water and you're, you're mostly going at the same speed. Cause you're kind of moving along with it. Right. Whereas when you're waiting, it's like, yep, it's a constant 
Yeah. And you're dealing with like bushes in the back, you know, you don't have a ton of room often to, but if you're, if you are targeting a run that, you know, like where a river's cruising along, it's over the rocks and then it dumps down into a trough. Um, oftentimes fish will hold in those little pockets depending on the time of year. And if someone knows that and they know that on a specific river, they can go, you know, throw that, that, um, nymphing setup and just time after time, throwing it through that little run, picking up fish. Um, and because you're, I mean, you can catch lots of fish in the same place using that method. So it's really effective. I think my, for me, it's like, I'm never going to be just, I'm never just going to nymph. I'm never going to just be dry fly fisherman. I like to have it as a tool. It's good to know about, um, if you want to get into it, tactical fly fishing is that book by that guy who was a competition oh, yeah. angler. That's the Euro. Yeah, it's Euro nymphing. So it's a little bit different, but if you want to just understand what's cool about that book is that even, even if you're into nymphing and you've done it a lot, that book teaches you about what's really happening subsurface and mm-hmm. how to target fish. And yeah, we don't have to get into the Euro nymphing thing, but that's kind of was popular in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think one of the things for that, like, what you just described, one of the things that's fun about fly fishing is that there is so much going on. Like for some people, like, I, like you said, I love trolling. Like I could sit in a boat trolling all day and you know, fish, like yeah. it's enjoyable, but there is something that's cool about fly fishing is even if you're not catching fish, you're constantly doing stuff, right? Like you're casting, you're moving, you're looking for areas, you're switching flies. You're kind of like, it's, it's oh, very it's, active. Yeah. Which it's funny. It kind of reminds me of like both fishing and hunting back in Michigan. Like at least how I learned it, were very like sedentary activities. <laughs> it's like sit in a tree stand all day hunting, or in yeah. a blind all day, sit in a boat all day and wait for the fish. You know, versus like if kind of feels like out west. It's like you're hiking, you're moving, you're going, and just being in these rivers is incredible. You know, yeah. I think that's some of those. Like even for somebody who maybe doesn't know that much and or just wants to get into it, buy a basic setup and go find a river. And it's like, you're at the very least, you're going to be in the mountains on this beautiful river with moving water in North Idaho. Yeah. And it's just incredible. Yeah. Like it's beautiful. Even if you spend half the time getting caught and, you know, untangling and switching Absolutely. out flies. And- yes. And we, we hit all the rivers in, in Missoula, but for this area, I think people often ask like, well, how far do you really have to go to, to actually fly fish a river? Yeah. I mean, two hours is kind of what I'm, that's my, generally speaking, you're either going up to the Joe, you're going down to the Loxaw, Selway, North Fork of the Clearwater. Um, and that's not even really hitting a lot of the salmon and steelhead rivers, like, um, little salmon, um, you know, the Clearwater, the snake and, I mean, people fly fish on the snake in the clear water, but that's a totally different game. That's spay rods, the big, long 14 to 16 foot. Um, and you're, there's a lot more skill. I'm not, I'm not good at it and I've done it a fair amount. So I would not put that as like a point of entry for someone, Yeah, but yeah, grand Ron down there in uh, Washington flowing into the snake. That's a f- awesome one for steelhead, but I think it's good for people to know, like hear the names, go look it up. And I, you know, talking about getting people into it, go talk to Tyler at white pine. He's a guy, yeah. an outfitter. He floats a ton up on the Joe. They know what kind of flies that you should take. They'll set you up with, you know, the full thing. Yeah. How important is that? Well, here's, here's my thing. We like, and I've done this with other stuff like bow hunting. We spent years, you and I just like wandering around in the woods and it was fun. Yeah. But we probably could have been more successful. Probably wasted a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, everyone has the ability to go hire a guide for 600 bucks a day or 
Oops. You want to get that? You can get that. Yeah. That's cool. I'll just take it. Yeah, take, just go to the other room. I'll tell the story. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, five, 600 bucks a day. The reason why I, I like the idea of getting a guide and I'll do this. Like when I go to Montana or, um, I fish the Yakima in Washington, um, South of Ellensburg, because you learn so much about the river in one day I can go and, and that's not to say the guides are, you know, sharing everything they know, you know, they, they often keep a little bit close to their chest, but, but it's an opportunity to just ask questions and like, okay, what's the deal? What times a year, you know, are you, when is the dry fly fishing pickup guides always want you to nymph. That's one thing to be, you know, they usually want you to nymph because especially if you're new, it's a little bit easier point of entry and it's easier for them to control. So they'll, if you want to dry fly fish, you kind of have to be like, say it. I want to dry fly fish. Make sure. Um, now Tyler's good at that. White pine, the guys up there that they're floating the Joe, they're going to have you throwing dries. No problem. Um, but I've seen that in other places where like, they're like, yeah, don't No, We're not going to do dries today. Why don't you just, why don't you just nymph? But, um, <clears throat> yeah, talk to the guides. I, for the longest time, but it is important. Fly selection. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Is important because that's one of the things I think that was weird for me <clears throat> getting learning about it was seeing something where it was like you could be throwing a fly in the same spot over and over. And this actually goes back to that McCall trip. First time I ever fly fished. We were, we were fishing after the guide and we were just, you know, throwing flies and like nothing, just nothing over and over. And this guy came down and like threw a fly into the water and caught a fish. I was like, what the heck? And I asked him, he's like, he's a nice guy. I was like, yeah, what are you using? He told me what he was using. What are they biting on? I was like, oh, I've got one of those. Switched it. Put the fly like first cast, boom, caught a fish. It was like, oh man, like that's really important, which is kind of crazy, but yeah. Um, oh yeah, so fly selection, just changing flies. You can catch a fish on a fly. This happens up on the North Fork. You've, we've talked about this. You're, you'll catch a fish on a fly, and you're like, great, and then you'll keep throwing that fly, and then nothing and nothing, and you'll change flies to something else, and you catch another fish on that fly. There's still fish there. That's one of the things that yeah. There's there's fish in there. If you want to nerd out, go buy snorkel gear. And swim some of these rivers and look at where the fish are because they're there and we just don't know how to catch them or what they are wanting at that particular time. But for the longest time, we would go out on rivers, you know, growing up and we would just be like, well, we got our selection of flies here and we're just going to kind of throw stuff. There might not even, I, I bet you we fish stuff that like did not exist in that river system. <laughs> so I feel like it was a changing point for me. Um, silver bow fly shop up in, up in Spokane Valley. Um, is a, is a, they put out reports online so you can go to Silverbow website. Um, and, and just like read about if you want to go up to the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene, well, what's, what are they catching fish on at the North Fork of the Coeur d'Alene? And, and they got it out there and they published the flows. You got, I mean, that's the one thing. There's a lot of stuff to figure out when it comes to the time of year. Um, you know, spring fishing, you're dealing with runoff, the snow's melting, the rivers bump up. Some of the best fishing we've had is, Granted, from a drift boat, but like March and April can be dynamite. May can be really good. Um, June can be great, but at some point the river is going to blow out, and you got to track those flows if you're going to go out in the springtime. Um, any any time before July, really. You know, if there's been a big rain, um, any of those things can can. And some rivers will actually blow out, and that means that there's a lot of sediment that comes down the creeks that are filling that river, and then the river turns off color. Um, like the St. Joe doesn't really deal with that as much. Um, but there are rivers that if, if you are going to fish the day after a rain, it could be a beautiful day, but that water Yakima's this way, it'll be off color and, mm -hmm. and the fish don't have the visibility. 
Um, so certain rivers, they're tracking like what's the level of visibility that you're dealing with that day. Um, but that's where your fly shops are are really helpful and there's yeah. so, so much information online. Um, so yeah, um, start checking those reports before you go. And, um, and then there's an awesome community of people, even on like Instagram, there are people that I message with that I've never met that live in mm-hmm. Moscow. Um, usually they're, they're associated with, they know Tyler at, at the, at the shop and I'll see them. We spend, so we have our river camp up there and we park trailers on the river and we just hang out. And so I'll see people floating by and I'm like, Oh, I recognize that person. That's and funny. I like follow them on Instagram. And then when they fish, I'll go check and see and message them and be like, what do you, you know? What'd you throw? What was working well? Um, so get to know people and there's, there's like a local trout unlimited chapter. So if someone wanted to show up at a trout unlimited meeting, that's, we've had that chapter for it's been maybe a decade or not quite that long, five or six years. Um, so you can get involved in, yeah, there's, there's place Palouse to start. fly casters. There's yep. like a club locally. Yep. They do some lessons and stuff. You can learn how to yeah cast. go go spend time and maybe start by serving a little bit like go do some projects some service project and while you're doing that ask like well where where do you like to fish like you know do you have any item brand new to this but you know you meet people you you um, spend time with them serve with them and and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions backcountry hunters and anglers i don't think there's a um, there's a Palouse chapter of some kind i think it might be based out of lewiston but but that's another group yeah yeah what are you looking forward to this year, um, spending more time on the Joe for sure. Um, yeah, that was kind of the river that we, we grew up spending the most time on and, um, we're going to, I'm actually this weekend taking the trailer up there. So I'm going to put that in, set up camp and the jet boat races are this weekend. So they're running oh, nice. jet boats up the, uh, up the Joe. This is what is today, the 27th. So that's on Friday, Saturday today actually starts today. Yeah. Nice. All through the weekend. You're not, you're probably not going to get this podcast out there quick enough for people to take advantage of that, but Uh, I don't know. Every year. I don't know. We're pretty fast. We'll see. Yeah. The, um, what about one thing just to touch on real quick? Um, so you talk about boat drift boat, that kind of thing. Um, obviously that's a a pretty sizable investment for somebody to get into. They're probably going to be more serious at that point, but just like waiting, fishing, um, waiters, like how important is that? What, where would you start with somebody? Cause I think that's, that can be something. Somebody doesn't know if they're going to love fly fishing. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a pretty sizable investment. You get into waders, you yeah. get into buying a rod and reel. And is there, is there like for the newbie, is there one setup that you would go with that? I wouldn't would, buy waders right out the gate. I mean, unless you just, you can wet weight around here quite a bit. Absolutely. I mean, it basically after July 4th, the water's still kind of cold. We're up there for the July weekend and you know, it, you'll stand in the river for a bit and then you're like, Ooh, that's chilly. Uh, still, still some runoff coming out of the mountains, but basically, you know, middle of July and on, um, you don't need waders. I mean, it's helpful to have either sandals, chacos, whatever. Um, or you can take a normal pair of sandals and then just wrap duct tape around them and like all around your ankle. And it just kind of holds, and I call those calder chacos. There so when go. we're floating, when we're out there floating in our inner tubes, so I had to make a pair of char- Calder Chacos one time because my other ones broke. But what about rod and reel? Okay, so, so there's yeah. all kinds of stuff, right? It's like different weights. And different, what, yeah, what would so you get? Echo. What's the, the what's echo like, trout. But what's the, yeah. Is if you're going to have one fly rod and reel, it's the five, it's a five weight. It's five a five weight, weight rod, nine foot, nine foot, five mm-hmm. weight. That's your standard. Now I, 
love to fish my four weight because if I'm out on the boat all day and I'm casting all day long, the four weight rod, is just a little bit lighter, easier on the arm and the kind of fishing I do, I'm not looking to cast super long distances. So if you're in Montana, like you can go check out, check out the Yellowstone angler. Uh, they do a four weight shootout, five weight yeah, shootout. Great. They, they have like a budget pick yeah. every year. They're right there, Livingston, Montana. If you're ever on your way to Yellowstone, stop in at, at uh, George Anderson's Yellowstone Angler. Great shop. Um, but yeah, so they do this you know, rating every year. And every year they say, here are the best five weights. And they always include budget rods too. And they're all like, here's your best. Like one rod I found, um, we'll get back to Echo because that is kind of the, the rod that I have, will recommend to people. But um, there's a company called... Beulah, B-E-U-L-A-H. And it's the least expensive American-made rod that you can get. It's about 300, 300 bucks. Um, and so that's, I think they're making them in Oregon, but it's all here. And that's been a great rod. And we've broken those rods and sent them in and they fix them and send them back. And so really good, really good service. But your cheapest point of entry for a decent rod is the Echo Trout, which I think you own. Did you, is that the one you bought? I have... Ago? I mean, you got uh, Echo Base. Oh, Echo Base. Okay, so they Echo Which Fly Fishing even cheaper. Yeah, makes a bunch of rods, but that's kind of a they do like a standard five weight, and it's a you know, and I'm sure like whatever Reddington, they've probably all got their intro line, but that's one that seems to get pretty good ratings. So nine foot five weight reel mm-hmm. doesn't matter that much. Get a pair of sandals that you can wet weight in, or if you want to buy a pair of wading boots, you can start with that, and then in the middle of you know, July and August, you're just out there. And especially depending on the river, you know, I would say go to a river where you're going to be able to, it's not so huge that you're dealing with like a huge, massive amount of water. Um, you know, go, go find somewhere and there's oh, the Selway. I mean, you could go, go down to the Selway. Locksaw is a lot bigger, but hit the Selway, hit the St. Joe. Um, and then, you know, again, check the fly fishing reports to find out where to go. And, you know, later in the year, like we fish a ton in the spring down, like near Calder and you're floating in these boats, the, the river is pretty big later in the year, the fish tend to, you know, migrate or get more active upriver as it heats up. The water gets a little warmer. They want to go up towards the headwaters where it's as cool as possible. And so that's the progression throughout the year is you're slowly moving further up river, chasing fish. Um, and I mean, you can't even early on, there's so much water. I mean, the St. Joe is like a rafting river right now. Same with the locks on those other ones. So if you're too high, it's like you're, there's, I mean, there's no way you're going to catch fish up there, but later in the year, it calms down. There's less water. That's where the fish like to spend time. And it's, they're not huge rivers. There's, you know, easy to walk away, go stand out on rocks, go have some success. And then if you decide that you're really into this, you know, that's when the waders become important because you know, you, you can start going at times of the year when it's a little chillier and standing in the rivers can be cold. So, but I always laugh because yeah. I'll go you know, late July, August, and you drive up the Joe, like past Avery. And it seems like every corner has someone standing there in a pair of waders and they got their vest on and their hat. And I'm just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Cause they, it's, you know, for some people going fly fishing is like, let's go fly fishing. I got to get my get up on the gear. The reality well, is, I mean, just a go. lot of what we do is, is for the gear. Like it's just fun. Gear is fun. Yeah. Guys yeah. especially love gear. Yep. So that's one of the fun things about fly fishing. There's always more gear. Yeah. There's always, even like uh, trolling and stuff. I remember we would always, every single year we'd buy more, another rod and reel. It's yep. like, Oh, we better, we're going on this trip. Better get, do you see that new rod they came gear. out with? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the other thing too, I think, like there's so much history with 
the natives in this area, all of these places have these other aspects where it's like, yeah, it's good camping. It's good fishing. But man, when you're taking yeah. kids out, there's so St. Joe, it's got the Milwaukee road was the old rail station that came down through there, comes up over to, um, whatever that it's up near Kellogg along 90 mm-hmm. and then it dives in. Have you guys ever done the bike, um, route at the Hiawatha? No, we haven't. Oh man. That's on our list. It's I've only done it once. It was, they great. just opened it. I just saw yeah. like yesterday, maybe Yep. so for the season. So go up to 90 and it's like, Go to Kellogg. That's where, or maybe it's it's Lookout. It's Walt. It's Lookout. Oh, Lookout's where you pick up your tickets, okay. and then they like cart you down in a bus, and then you or you ride down, and then they bring you back in a bus. So it's great for kids, but it's basically the old railway grade. They removed the rails and um, made it into a biking trail, and that starts there. There's a Taft Tunnel, which is really really long. I don't, but apparently, so this railway when it was back, there's like multiple presidents that came through. Um, Taft was one of them. And, um, I don't remember the others, but well, they, there was a town that was named Taft. Right. So the That's story part behind of- that, if you want to get into your history, read, uh, up the Swiftwater. Um, it's a book about the St. Joe area and whatnot, but yeah, it, it says that Taft showed up in the back of his train rail car and basically like berated this group of this yeah, town because they, they were, were so degenerate. They were like, like whorehouses and, and yeah. alcoholics. And yeah. he's like, do better. <laughs> and, and so they, they like, named it Taft. Yay, they cheered him. And he goes on down. So that from there, the railway went down through, um, you know, that stretch of mountains up over Moon Pass and then um, kind of climbs its way up and then over down into the St. Joe River drainage and goes down through the town of Avery, Idaho. And um, it stops there. So that's Sue. I mean, the smallest town, right? Avery, Idaho. Oh. But from there, it would shoot down the the St. Joe, um, and then out to, well, through St. Mary's and then beyond. Um, the other book about that area, the big burn, because yeah. there's a lot of that. That's really where yeah, the fire, 1910. fire 1910 went through. And so there's a lot of, of history of that area in that book too, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So you're rolling you around there now. Stuff. Yeah. You're rolling around there now and they've got these railway tunnels that you can drive through. The kids are always super excited about that. It's you're but like going through the mountains on a gravel road after they took all the rails out, but now it's just a place to go recreate. There's like huge, suspension or big bridges that they've made that carried the rails. Um, but yeah, there's, um, there's stories of like Clark Gable going through Avery, Avery, Idaho and, uh, other people because of that. Um, and that's, we've got family that basically moved to that region in 1911. I think wow. they were rebuilding. So my mom's, um, my mom's grandma and grandpa were actually from St. Joe city and then, and then the Avery area. Wow. That's cool. So yeah, it's a lot nice. of fun stuff up there. A lot to get into, and I'm sure we can talk a lot more, but yeah, thanks for coming by. You bet. And hopefully people give them a start and get people excited about it. And, you know, it's like you said earlier, we live in Idaho, right? Yeah. Look around. There's a lot of new people to Idaho. It's like, we're here. Take advantage of it. Get out and enjoy some of that stuff. Absolutely. Thanks, Isaac. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Like, share, subscribe. We'll see you next week.